0: afternoon listeners this is the dogs program and we're here every saturday 12 noon as most of you know i'm sure uh to promote and to defend public education education that's public in purpose and outcome above all it's publicly accessible to every child teacher and employee it's also should be public in ownership and control Uh, it isn't always because we have these public-private partnerships in this uh, state anyway, and uh, it's the only one that should be publicly funded because it's the only one that's publicly accountable. But we have an election coming up, and although the public education people have been trying to get as much coverage as they can for the unfairness in the funding game, uh, both parties are avoiding the education issue like the plague. I wonder why. Excepting up in New South Wales, uh, there is a Senate candidate called Jane Carrow for the Reason Party, who is taking on the issue very fulsomely indeed, as you'll find out in a moment. And that's our press release 935. As well as that, up there in New South Wales, there's been a strike on, on, on Wednesday, on the 4th of May. And um, as well as that, Uh, The the Australian Education Union is urging urging action on workforce shortages because we have a shortage of teachers. The good news is that the Victorian budget hasn't withdrawn the funding for the new schools in the outlying areas. And they are also going to uh, give teachers another 90 minutes a week to do their administrative tasks and employ more teachers, if they can find them. But let's get on with the show. Uh, Oliver and Kim are going to read Press Release 935. Over to you, Oliver and
1: Kim. Thank you, Jean. This is uh, Press Release 935, Education off the election Agenda, except for Jane Cairo and the Reason Party. For both Mr. Morrison and Anthony Albanese, chasing their electoral tails with electoral promises and zingers, educational policy is strictly off limits. Neither the Minister for Education, Alan Tudge, or his shadow Tanya Plibersek are in the electoral show, Promenading the Country. Morrison has an abysmal record and Albanese does not wish to antagonize the religious vote, but all is not well for voters interested in public education. In New South Wales, in particular, the teachers went on strike on 4th of May 2022. The AU Group's Every School, Every Child has produced a major report showing that Scott Morrison's record on school funding is a history of private school handouts and public school neglect. And perhaps most relevantly, Walkley award-winning author and columnist Jane Carrow is standing for the Senate at the forthcoming federal election in New South Wales, she is standing as a candidate for Reason Australia and her running mates are Hannah Meher and Diana Ryle. Caro is a well-known activist for many causes, particularly feminism, public education, the plight of older women, urgent action on climate change, our treatment of refugees, indigenous Australians, and anyone who is routinely excluded, marginalized or unjustly treated. She has expressed her activism for decades by her columns, frequent appearances in the media and her books both fiction and non-fiction. She has published 12 books, including three novels, Just a Girl, Just a Queen, and Just Flesh and Blood, a trilogy on Elizabeth Tudor, and a memoir, Plain Speaking Jane. She created and edited Unbreakable, featuring stories women writers had never told before, which was published just before the Harvey Weinstein revelations. Her latest book, Accidental Feminists, about the life story of women over 50, was launched in 2019. Her next book, her first novel for adults, which is about coercive control, The Mother, published in March, 2022. Cairo is married and has two daughters and two grandchildren. She and her husband split their time between Sydney and their cattle property in the Upper Hunter. 20 years ago, conscious of the carbon emissions they will be creating, they planted hundred acres of hardwood eucalypts as a carbon sink. It is estimated that their plantation absorbs 620 tons of carbon annually. Previously, she served on the boards of the Song Company, Bell Shakespeare, and is currently on the board of the Public Education Foundation. And Kimmy will read out what she has to say about her about the current educational situation.
2: Thanks, Oliver. So, the shocking but unsurprising revelation that 130 private schools were overfunded by a total of 120 million dollars should shake up federal and state education ministers to unwind past mistakes in how taxpayers' money is distributed to schools, said Jane Caro, Senate candidate for the Reason Australia Party. The debacle that is driving inequality in our school system and our society must be addressed. It's one of the main reasons I am standing in this election, to give public education and people who can't afford private schooling a voice, said Jane Currow. The reason school achievement continues to decline, says author and former school principal Chris Bonner, is that we've created a system that puts the most advantaged kids together in advantaged schools and leaves the strugglers largely in a class of their own. It's the elephant in the room that we lumber around and the avoidance has reached diabolical proportions. Every new federal or state education minister will do anything rather than address that central problem. But until we address that central problem, we are in strife. Chris Bonner was speaking with Jane Caro in her Reasonings webinar, he said that instead of solving the inequality in our education system, the implementation of the Gonski reforms entrenched disadvantage. We thought that the kids who were funded the least and who had the greatest needs would be properly funded and that would create an incentive for schools to enrol more of the strugglers, but that didn't happen because the funding was hijacked by the stipulation enforced on Julia Gillard that no schools would lose a dollar. No other country in the world takes public money to subsidise wealthy schools to the extent Australia does, says Caro. We We were using the school system to drive segregation and entrench disparity and inequality by putting the most money in total behind the children who need the least and the least money in total behind the kids who need the most resources. Most shocking revelations in the Teachers' Federation report are as follows. 36 private schools received between $1 million and nearly $7 million in extra funding. 43 schools, including some charging fees of more than $35,000 a year, were given between $250,000 and $1 million extra a year. Public schools missing out on $1,633 per student every year, while private schools are overfunded by $647 per student. And the entire public school system sits more than 10% below its minimum SRS funding level since the adoption of the Gonski needs-based functioning model in 2013. Jane Caro says this is an outrageous misuse of taxpayers' money and deprives a generation of children of their educational potential just because of their circumstances and where they live, and it has to stop. Back to you, Jane.
0: Well, thank you very much. Uh- So Jane Carrow is quite a gal, isn't she? Uh, But uh, she doesn't go far enough, of course. She should be saying that the only real way around all of this is to take over the private schools and make them public schools. We can't afford the state aid anymore. We said all of this would happen back in 1964, and the time has come to just take them over because we pay for them. And if they don't want to be taken over, they can be genuinely independent. But um, we're going to have a bit of a break and then Sol is going to tell us if she were the Minister for Education, how she'd run the show.
3: It's all about a voice in our own country. We've got a reason for screaming out, where's our voice in this country? You know, not that I want to be a part of the Constitution for that, you know. That's why 3CR is so important to me and this community here. We've got a voice, but it's not... you know, We're entitled to a bigger voice than what we've got, but it's all about having a voice.
4: Subscribe to 3CR, fiercely independent and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 03 9419 8377.
0: Now, before the break, if you're still with us, I said that Sorrell was going to tell us how she'd run the show if she were the Minister for Education. Actually, she's going to read out to us how Chris Bonner would run the show if he were
4: Minister for Education. Over to you, Sorrell. Thanks, Jean. Chris Bonner writes, If any serious policy issues are aired during this election it's unlikely school education will feature. Yet our framework of schools is an evolving disaster. And while there are critical differences between the parties, none of the policy offerings address the root cause of our educational malaise. School education isn't alone in being a victim of policy on the run and a popular solutions to complex problems. The deficit's created by a failure amount in incremental ways and are often masked by quick fixes, including at election time. But school equity is still declining, acting as a drag on levels of achievement. Australia continues to fall behind similar countries. As Tom Greenwell and I, Chris Bonner, indicate in Waiting for Gonski, not much will change without a major policy rethink. What can be done? To even contemplate new solutions, we need to understand enduring problems. For some time now, we've recognised the link between family, SES, and student achievement. Funded programs to help overcome family disadvantage have been around for decades. But there was, and is, more. Research in the 1990s started to show that the SES of school communities created by whose schools enrol was having an additional impact on student achievement. The Gonski review reported that this school SES impact, specifically the impact of peers on the learning of others, was predominant. In other words, peers were more important than parents, the home SES, and pedagogy, what schools did. Concentrating disadvantaged students together in the same schools is a recipe for failure, but that's precisely what we are doing. Taxpayer-supported resource advantages help some schools attract the most advantaged students, whilst unregulated enrolment practices and ever-increasing fees effectively exclude others. Australia's school system is now the fourth most segregated in the OECD, below countries like Russia and Tunisia. Our schools don't just reflect broader socio-inequality, They are the product of a dysfunctional policy setting as well. The national consequences of this for overall student achievement became very noticeable in the early 2000s. Australia started to pay the price for its growing social and educational divide in school enrolments, and we have now experienced two decades of decline. The problem could have been reduced if post-Skonski funding had gone to the schools most in need but the biggest increases went to private schools. In addition, the public sector itself was becoming further stratified by de-zoning schools, for example, in Victoria, independent public schools in Western Australia, and special purpose and selective schools in New South Wales. Three steps to a political settlement and a policy solution. We have now created the most wicked of problems, one which we too often refuse to recognise. We've been busy enough pursuing school level reforms, but the deeper structural problems arising from Australia's framework of resourcing and regulating schools remains unaddressed. There are solutions, many of which flagged in Waiting for Gonski, but policy options need to emerge organically from a widely supported change process. If I were the Minister for Education, that is if Chris Bonner was the Minister for Education, these are the three priority things that he would do. One, I would commission and issue a position paper focused on how we can reduce the pronounced concentrations of social disadvantage within our schools. The position paper would address how we can develop a school system that promotes equity, achievement and choice Without engendering the socioeconomic hierarchy of schools that exists in almost every Australian town and suburb? To answer this question, the paper would comprehensively examine the many international examples of school systems that enable choice, but do so within a common framework of resourcing and regulation. The position paper would address such questions as why and how peer effects have such a negative impact on Australian schools. What can be learned from countries where non-government school systems are fully publicly funded? What obligations and regulations accompany their public funding, particularly regarding enrollment and financial practices, including fees? Which countries have succeeded in facilitating school choice in ways that enhance its reach and reduce its deficits? How can a public policy ensure that competition between schools is focused on value-adding rather than cherry-picking? This paper should be widely disseminated and discussed, including in every school community. Having set out the best features of school systems internationally, it could provide options for adopting and adapting those features in our own circumstances. Two, the position paper would provide a basis for bringing all the major stakeholders together in a national education summit, organized along the lines of the Hawke government's successful 1984 economic summit with a focus on addressing the school segregation within our school system. All the players in Australian education should be represented. The three sectors, public, Catholic, and independent. The state governments, peak bodies, teacher unions, principals associations, and parent groups. And of course, the Commonwealth government. It should be structured in ways which challenge old assumptions, build on evidence, and better enable all students to achieve. The starting point should be our current arrangements to live in neither equity or choice or efficiency or effectiveness. The focus should be on how to reduce the concentrations of social disadvantage in our schools, which are driving underachievement, and how instead we can create a level playing field for all our schools in a framework in which all publicly funded schools, however diverse in ethos, would be free, comprehensive and inclusive. The goal of the summit would not be to let the participants go home until they had agreed to a new political settlement. Three, the current school funding agreement expires at the end of next year. The deal should be hashed out at the summit should form the basis for a new one. That agreement should be set out a four-year path to needs-based funding, bringing up all underfunded schools to the schooling resource standard, and eliminate all overfunding. It should move towards a more balanced Commonwealth state effort in funding the public and private sectors. Above all, it should ensure that public funding entails commiserate public obligations. Only then will we seriously address the concentrations of social disadvantage that are fundamentally undermining all our schools are trying to achieve And that article, again, was by uh, Chris Bonner, who is the co-author with Tom Greenwell on Waiting for Gonski, How Australia Failed Its Schools.
0: That's all very interesting, but unfortunately Greenwell and Bonner are still romancing about needs
4: policies.
0: One would have thought that the last 60 years would have made them realise that when you are dealing with the religious sector in education, you just can't trust them. They just go for special deals, and they are not interested in needs policies. They're very happy to grab all the money they can get, and they are already being overfunded, much more so than our, a lot of our, our our public schools. But they are not interested in the end in need or in inclusiveness. He was suggesting that part of their the requirement would be that they would be inclusive, even if they. Um, I have a particular ethos, but the whole purpose of a religious school and its ethos is that it can discriminate against those who are going to heaven and those who aren't, uh, whether they're children or not, which is really the very sad situation that we're in. But I think that Bonner and will mean well. So thank you, Sorrell. Um, as I've indicated before, if I was minister for education, if the dogs were minister for education, then given that we pay for these schools already, we would just take them over or let them be genuinely independent.
5: But um, so didn't weren't you a part of the crew who went to have a, a swim in the pool at Scotch College in Sydney in the day because it was paid for by public money, and so that's thought right. it was public- <laughs>
0: Yes, it was the Waverley uh, Christian Brothers College, actually, and all the old boys were out of out, out the, the front. But you'd be surprised how effective that uh, protest was. And um, the media gave us a bit of coverage. But after that, when we went to other places like um, the Anglican schools and so on, the media, there was a blanket on us. But, yes, oh, yes, we had fun, great fun at the very beginning. And we said in 1969 that what has happened would happen. Even back then, the wealthy schools were raking in the money and needs policy has never been properly introduced in the private sector. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break and then Maddie's is going to tell us what some of those uh, people up in New South Wales are at. The New South Wales Teachers Federation has always been more militant than Victoria or anywhere else in Australia. But um, we'll leave that to Maddie. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card. And once a year, your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. You're listening to the dogs program still, I hope, and here is Maddie to tell us about the strike action on the 4th of May up in New South Wales. Over to you, Maddie.
6: Thank you so much, Jean. Yeah, in response to the worsening teacher shortage crisis in public school classrooms, members in in schools took strike action across the state in New South Wales on Wednesday, the 4th of May. Federation President Angelo Gavriolato said acting on uncompetitive salaries and unsustainable workloads was the only way to stop more teachers leaving the profession, attract more people into the profession, and address the teacher shortage crisis. The announcement coincides with the release of a poll of more than 10,000 members from across the state, which reveals that without urgent action, teachers will continue to leave the profession. The poll found 73% of members believe their workload is unmanageable. 70% are reconsidering their position due to workload. 90% disagree that their pay reflects their expertise and responsibilities. 89% say shortages are very significant. 82% say shortages are leading to higher teacher workloads at their school. The government and the Premier are failing children and their teachers. Uh, which is a quote from Angelo Gavriolados. He said, one of the most fundamental roles of a government is to ensure there is a qualified teacher in every classroom with the time and support to meet the needs of each child. The government's workload reduction plan didn't reduce teachers' workloads by a single hour in 2021. Their failure to address the real problems will make the profession less attractive and only increase the number of teachers who resign. We've suspended our industrial campaign in term one, giving the Premier an opportunity to enter genuine negotiations. The Premier failed to act on that opportunity. In doing so, the Paratech government has failed our students, their parents and the profession. The solution to the teacher shortage and its causes, unsustainable working conditions and uncompetitive pay cannot be addressed nor resolved in the Industrial Relations Commission. The New South Wales government's contemptuous award offer, which it is pursuing in the Industrial Relations Commission, will not even cover inflation. This means teachers' pay will effectively go backwards every year. The government's own regulations effectively prevent the IRC from addressing the causes of the teacher shortage. Its own regulations will result in a predetermined outcome consistent with the government's 2.04% salary cap, At a time when inflation is running at 3.5% and predicted to grow, this would constitute a cut to teachers' real income. The profession is now left with no alternative but to act in the interest of our students and our profession and take industrial action. Further action, Federation has also placed an immediate ban on all new government, department and New South Wales Education Standards Authority, policies initiatives due for implementation on and from day one of term two? In addition, should New South Wales government MPs seek to enter school grounds? Federation members are authorised to walk out for as long as these MPs remain on site. How about that?
0: (laughs) They're pretty bolshy up there, aren't they?
6: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) Well, there you are. Thank you very much. Uh, We'll have a bit of a a break and then Sorrel and Dale are going to tell you something else about what the AEU has been up to.
6: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live.
0: you're still listening to the dogs program I hope and here is Sol to tell you about the research that the AEU has commissioned and is now promoting throughout Australia with its various uh,
4: communication methods. Over to you Sol. Thanks Jean. So this report is by senior education economist Adam Rorris and it shows that Scott Morrison's record on school funding is a history of private school handouts and public school neglect. On Scott Morrison's watch, public schools remain at least 10% below their minimum required SRS funding, a shortfall of more than $6.5 billion per year. And there are more than $3 billion a year short investment in school facilities. At the same time, the Morrison government has directed an extra 10 billion to private schools since 2018. It's a shameful record. Now, more than ever, we need to make sure that voters understand what is at stake for public education. Our schools and their students cannot afford another three years of the Morrison government. Please help us get the message out, that's the AEU's message, about the importance of voting to change government. To help you, the AEU, the AEU have put together a comprehensive interactive website with the chronology of Morrison's record of failure on school funding. This website can be found at www.everyschooleverychild.org.au slash record underscore on underscore school underscore funding. Now over to you, Dale, to uh, tell us about the pamphlet that the AU has uh, made for us. Thank you, Sorrel. It's a bit of a, a pamphlet
7: which is on Scott Morrison's record on school funding, a, a history thereof, so to speak, a, a history of private school handouts and public school neglect. So in 2017, $1.2 dollars was put in the choice and affordability slush fund for private schools, which was only announced in a a special deal. Then one point nine billion dollars, that's one point nine billion dollars in capital funding grants for school buildings became available to private schools only. So on the public school side, uh, there's zero federal capital funding for public schools, even though it's common knowledge that they are massively underinvested as compared to the private sector. Now, $3.4 billion in additional funding for private schools to transition to the direct measure of parental income over 10 years was put in place, which is another special deal for private schools. That was around 2018. Towards the end of 2018, the five-year bilateral agreements with non-government authorities began overfunding private schools by more than $800 million. Now, uh, on the public school side, the five-year bilateral agreements with state and territory governments held that public schools were underfunded by more than $4.5 billion each and every single year. Then $30 million in drought relief went to, and COVID hygiene funding went to the private schools in uh, 2020, uh, actually the end of 2019. And absolutely zero funding went for drought relief for public schools or COVID assistance for public schools. Also, just on the public school side, clauses within the bilateral agreements diverted an additional $2 billion a year away from classrooms in public schools and towards depreciation write-offs and accounting trickery. The true underfunding of public schools reaches $6.5 billion per year. In 2020, confirmation that some of the very richest schools in the country will receive tens of millions of dollars in Commonwealth government funding over and above their full SRS entitlement through to 2028 and that just reminds you that public schools are legislated to be underfunded to the SRS. So public schools will never reach their SRS.
0: It's quite scary, isn't it? It's quite scary. It's and what's so disappointing is that depreciation figure because that means that the state governments are playing funny budgets with the accountancy uh, methods. It's almost uh, like uh, the schoolyard schemes of the 1980s. Very sad indeed.
7: Yeah. And Yes. Not only did uh, the private schools get $750 million in JobKeeper, JobKeeper subsidies to private schools who retained at least half of this handout as profit. Of course, public schools were not eligible for JobKeeper. Uh, So in 2021, an additional $2 billion inserted into the pool of Commonwealth funding for private schools at the end of 2021, despite there being no evidence of it being justified on the basis of need. Then in 2022, flood disaster relief for private schools only, zero flood relief funding for public schools. And just recently, another $835 million for private schools in the 2022-23 federal budget. And, of course, $560 million was cut from public school funding over the next three years in the 2023 in 23 budget and up to $796 million to be cut over four years from public schools. Well, so, the uh, only thing that
0: public school people can do, the only thing they can do is when they go to the ballot box, is to put the Liberal Party last that Mr. Morrison really should not in any way be rewarded for this behaviour. Bad, bad, bad behaviour as far as we're concerned. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back uh, and Dale's going to uh, tell us what's been going on in Victoria.
2: Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation.
1: Or pass on some information to a programmer.
2: We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're
0: still here. You can call us on 03 9419 8377.
5: Each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member.
2: That's 03 9419 8377.
0: 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. Well, we're back here with the Dogs Programme, and I'm sorry we're throwing so many facts and figures at you, but in fact, public school people should be very much aware of the uh, facts and figures of funding in Australian education at the moment, because it is dire for public education. But uh, it's not just the federal government that's having an election this year. The state government is also going to election. And uh, Mr Andrews uh, is not regarded necessarily as um, the top dog at the moment, but uh, Mr Pallas and Mr Andrews have put a bit of money into our public education system. That doesn't mean to say that they're not being overly generous to the private system. But uh, Adam Carey in The Age this week gave us a bit of a rundown on what was happening with the state budget. Over to you, Dale.
7: Thank you, Jean. Yeah, the article that Adam's written is called School Building Boom Rolls On in Melbourne's Outer Suburbs. So, more than 1,900 teachers will be hired to pay for a reduction in teaching hours. 13 schools are to be built in outer suburbs and dozens upgraded across the state. million to lift students' literacy and numerously, mostly in middle years, and VCE and VCAL merger to cost $277 million, boosting vocational and applied learning. So, a pandemic-induced dip into Victoria's population has not slowed the state's school building boom, with $1.8 billion committed to building 13 schools in Melbourne's outer suburbs, acquiring land for future schools in growth areas, and upgrading dozens of existing schools across the state. Students with disability have come in for special attention, with 36 Special schools to receive $326 million for upgrades, roughly half of the total funding in the budget for school upgrades in 2022-23. None of the new schools, eight primary, three secondary schools and two special schools will be built in inner suburbs or regional areas. Schools will be- Schools will be built in Melbourne's West at Aintree, Tarnit, Truganina, Lollipop Creek, Brookfield and Riverdale, at Aiken Hill, Lockerbie and Merif- Merrifield South in Melbourne's North and in Officer and Clyde North in the outer sou- southeastern suburbs. Treasurer Tim Pallas noted in his budget speech that the commitment would ensure that the, the Andrews government had upgraded every special school in the state since coming to power in 2014. The cost of the government's three-year agreement, agreement with the teachers union has also been budgeted at $779 million, which will go towards cr- recruiting 1,900 new state new state school teachers. The agreement struck earlier this year will give teachers less face-to-face class time and more time for lesson planning with 1 hour a week with a 1 hour a week reduction in teaching time next year and a further 30 minute reduction in 2024. It's part of a 1.7 billion dollar spend on on schools initiatives in the budget. Victorian Principals Association President Andrew Dal said the budget made a significant investment in expanding the state's teacher workforce by about 1,900 teachers and that schools would soon begin planning in earnest how they would manage reducing face-to-face teaching time for their staff from next year. From a primary school perspective, perspective, it means children's normal teacher will have less face-to-face time with them and ideally it creates more time for teachers to prepare quality lessons and to provide students with feedback instead of potentially rushing, Dalgleish said. There's also funding to try to improve students' reading and math skills, with the budget papers revealing that the state has missed most of its targets for student achievement in literacy and numeracy last year. In primary school, the percentage of students from the bottom three NAPLAN bands was sh- was below the state target in year three, reading and numeracy. Grattan Institute School Education Program Director Jordana Hunter said more focus on helping students at primary school level was needed. While investment in the tricky middle years is welcome, we'd like to see more focus in on the primary years, Dr Hunter said. These are the years when we have the greatest opportunity to set students up for success, particularly disadvantaged students. Many of these students have really struggled during the pandemic. Teachers also need clearer guidance on how they can identify learning difficulties early and use evidence-based teaching methods to address these. The merger of the VCE and its applied learning alternative VCAL into a single certificate will cost $277.5 million and will expand the availability of the vocational and subjects in many schools that do not currently have a strong VCAL program. Make no mistake, this is a big ticket item, the biggest reform of the VCE since its inception, Mr. Pallas said. No longer will we be pigeonholing kids into technical or academic prowess. Back to you, Jean.
0: Well, that all sounds quite uh, quite interesting, doesn't it? Um, I think that perhaps we're better off here in Victoria with a Labor government than they are up in New South Wales with a uh, conservative government, um, according to that report, anyway. But uh, we'll have a bit of a, a little bit of a break, and, and we've got them to go to Jeff, who's going to fill us in on the American news.
3: I think Welcome to Country is a very dangerous concept and initiative. I really don't know where Welcome to Country even merged from. I know that I don't think it was, obviously, an Aboriginal initiative. I think, obviously, governments had uh, introduced that as they were pacifying our flag of resistance. You know, the idealism that lies behind that, obviously, is so that white people can feel a sense that they're more guests and Mm -hmm. they've got a right of ownership and to be here. If we're going to continuously welcome them to country, what that does, it rectitudes the fact of the moral racism issues in which they perpetrate against our people because how can we be talking about all these other issues and then compromise a hypocrisy in our own selves to welcome these murderers and these uh, slave traders and this barbaric sense of what they've done to occupy australia on one hand and, and welcome them on the other
2: you're listening to radical radio 3cr
3: You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. 3CR.
0: Well, you're still listening to the Dog's Home program, I hope, and here is Jeff with our American News. Over to you, Jeff.
5: Thanks, Jean. Look, this is an article by Jeff Bryant, who uh, publishes in our schools, and he's a fantastic researcher in public education in America. He's published an article. Uh, the title is um, "Why Did Oakland Decide to Shut Down uh, Popular Community Schools?" Now, Oakland is in is part of the San Francisco area. It's um, it's uh, got a few social problems and um, a fairly what's hap- what's been happening over there. They've been bringing in private schools or charter schools, they call them, and the charter schools have bled away the better students. Uh, uh, and so leaving a lot of the public schools and community schools with people with the most uh, socioeconomic uh, social problems, people with mental issues, people who uh, come from difficult backgrounds and, and generally kids who have more needs than others. And this same district in Oakland has um, set about destroying uh, or closing, they're about to close this week, uh, a lot of um, community schools which have been bearing the brunt of the work uh, in these districts as a result of... Um, and and the reason they're closing them ostensibly is because the numbers are dropping. But the reasons the numbers are dropping, because they've been bled away by private schools. It's a bit um, like the
0: 1990s here with Mr Kennett, isn't it?
5: It is, yeah. It's bleeding away the, the, the things that make the, the, the public schools um, successful. Uh, they need a certain number of students so um to continue so i'll just read i'm going to i'm going to abridge this fairly heavily but um so i'll begin the oakland california school district touts itself as the nation's first full-service community schools district committing to a model of school improvement that according to the model's most prominent proponents provides students with a well-rounded educational opportunity and supports that they need to be successful community schools attend to the basic needs of communities they serve, which often entails, according to news reports, such things as access to health and dental care, nutritious food, arts programs, sports, recreation and after-school activities. But in February 2022, Oakland, despised, despite its commitment to district-wide reform plan, announced it's shutting down, shutting down several of its community schools. Um, now, I'll, I'll bridge a little bit here. There's several of the schools named. And interestingly, the, the cuts they're making will not, make up for the budget shortfall that they're attempting to plug so the overall underfunding of government schools in the united states and community schools is becoming more and more endemic Um, much of this criticism focuses by the groups who are protesting these closures focuses on the facts that closures disproportionately affect families who are often in the most need of the full time full service nature of the community schools approach approach, principally families of colour with children who often struggle in most schools. Uh, When the board proposed its initial plan to shut up eight schools in January, an estimated 93% of students on average uh, were considered either lower income English uh, school students, English learners or foster youth, compared to the district wide average of about 80%. Black students made up about 43% of students affected by the decision and counted for almost twice the proportion of black students in the entire district. Board members and the district's administration maintain that closures are necessary because of enrollment declines and the district's long-term financial problems. enrollment in Oakland Unified has declined by more than 15,000 places over the last 20 years, the New York Times reported. And the district is facing $12.3 million deficit on top of a $3.2 billion deficit in needed repairs at school facilities. So these are run-down schools. They're the poorest kids who go there, the ones that's the most trouble at home. Uh, from, often from Asian or uh, ethnic backgrounds that um, uh, struggle with English. They're the most needy students, and they're the ones, that, the schools that they're closing. Um, the district has also claimed that closing its community schools is necessary for the school district to fulfill its mission of being a quality community schools district. Um, according to one article in EdSource, Oakland Superintendent Kyla Johnson Trammell has argued. The only way to improve school outcomes is to get enough children in every school so each campus is fiscally sustainable and then to ensure they get the full range of services they need, including support services like counselors, librarians and so on. When the district first proposed closing schools, its presentation to the board repeated the commitment to build a full service community district focused on high academic achievement while serving the whole servicing the whole child, but it then proceeded to make the case. The high number of small schools in the district including those that practice the community schools approach put that mission in jeopardy the district's insistence that it must close community schools in order to save them seems reminiscent of other examples of government doublespeak in the past and and multiple sources we've spoken to with question uh, the district's commitment to, to the community schools model or at least the question question the level of commitment by the district to core tenants of the model complicating the matter is oakland's history of welcoming charter schools into the district According to a 2019 analysis by KQED, in the decade after 2000, the number of charter schools more than tripled, and the charter enrollment in Oakland has remained high, as a 2022 EdSource report noted, growing a total of around 16 times from 1,000 students in 2000 in the year 2001 to 16,678 in 2021. The districts seem to be guided by an approach to school improvement that relied on the principles of market competition to attract more students and funding, a reform methodology that seems antithetical to the community schools model that relies on collaboration. Oakland has had and continues to have relatively high charter school enrollment numbers compared to the rest of California, as EdSource reported in analysis of 2021 district and state data. About 32% of Oakland students attended charters, while only about 12% of students across the state attended charters. Meanwhile. last 20 years, the enrollment in Oakland's public school run districts dropped 34% from 53,000 to 35,000, according to the district's data. As the per pupil funding for these students follows them to the charter schools, the district is left with less funding to support the rollout of a successful community schools model. Often Oakland public schools, which have closed or threatened with closure due to low enrollment, have had their classroom spaces leased to charter schools, which is required by California state law but is hotly contested in the community. So they're leasing out part of the schools to these charter schools. The spotlight on Oakland comes at a time when there is a growing popularity of community schools movement. California recently launched a $3 billion project to expand the number of community schools around the state. Maryland is planning to convert nearly one third of the state's public schools to community schools model by 2027. And Congress has proposed to more than double from 30 million to 75 million, the federal government's grant program for full service community schools. Um, just to skip so this forward. sounds to
0: me as if the Americans are finding out what we found out uh, before them—that private schools are in fact parasitic on the main, the main system.
5: Certainly uh, are. Yep. Certainly are, Gene. It's, para-
0: it's a parasitic system.
5: That's right. Mm. They, they take the best and and the best funding, the best. They even take, in this case, school buildings, yeah, uh, and share them. Yep. So they're finding community schools in Oakland are still more of an ideal than an actuality, Jan- Janelle Scott said. Uh, consolidating and closing schools seems to challenge that ideal. Scott, a University of California Berkeley professor, Berkeley professor and researcher who closely studies the impact of school closures and the spread of school privatisation, is a prominent critic of the, city, the district's closure plan.
0: Well, we actually we went through this here in Victoria in the 1990s with Kenneth and the people fought for their schools, there was, in fact, the Battle for Richmond. And if people are interested in this, they can buy the book, The Battle for Richmond, um, from 3CR and give some money to 3CR at
5: the same time.
0: Yeah, but, well, thank
5: um, you. I'll leave it there. But but um, it's definitely a, a system prone to collapse. Yep. yep. Oh, back to you, Jean. Yes, well, we're now going into the
0: great state school and over to Maddy.
3: For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm the
5: proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Every week on the Dogs Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week, state school. School great of the school. week, great state schools. State, state schools, schools school are great of the week, schools. school for the week here on the Dogs Program. And
6: this week's great state school is. Lee and Gatha Secondary College. Congratulations, Lee and Gatha Secondary College. Lee and Gatha has developed values for students and teachers that will contribute to a safe, supportive and challenging learning environment. I'm gonna read some stuff off their school website. So LSC learner values, they have listed self-motivated, inquisitive and organized, displays resilience and a positive mindset, is aware of their strengths and areas for improvement, respects their peers, teachers and the school, is willing to receive feedback and is reflective. That was their learner values, now we're going to go to their teacher values. Creates positive relationships, displays empathy and is focused on student well-being, is student focused and enthusiastic, provides clarity, feedback and engaging lessons, and understand the challenges and change unnecessary for professional growth. Let's go back to the beginning. After several years of lobbying by the community, the provision of secondary education for South Gippsland youth became a reality in February 1912 when an agricultural high school was established at Lee and 60 students enrolled and classes were held in a room at the Lee and State School, then in Jeffrey Street, and in the Rechabite Hall in Rughead Street. Arthur Mesley was recruited as the first headmaster and, with his knowledge of agriculture, set about creating a school to serve the entire South Gippsland region. The site for the school was a section of the Leangatha Labour Colony, located on the corner of Nurana and Horn Street. The Labor Colony was an 800 acre experimental farm which was set up by the state government in the 1890s depression to provide unemployment relief. A school farm was established where the East Campus now stands and agriculture was a significant part of the curriculum in those early years. And times have changed. So again, local lobbying led to the development of the Leon Gatha Technical School, which began in 1967 in portable classrooms at the rear of the high school. By 1970, the new technical school occupied the area where the farm used to be. The high school celebrated its 60th anniversary with a back-to, at which a time capsule was buried. How gorgeous! The high and tech both progressed and by the 1980s plans began to amalgamate the two schools and form Lee and Secondary College. The future whole scale, whole scale redevelopment of the school site and the establishing of an education precinct is going ahead and should be a great gain for the school. I am going to throw some facts and figures at you now from the Akara My School website. So There are 616 students enrolled at this school. The ICSIA value is below average at 992. There are 7% of students whose families come from the upper quartile of parental income, um, 20% in the second highest, 35% in the third highest, and in the lowest, there are 38% of students. So really, it's a school with many disadvantaged students with 1% speaking a language other than English and 1% Indigenous students. Uh, Finances, uh, reoccurring grants annually, the um, Australian government gives them $1.9 million. The Victorian government provides $7.8 million and fees and parental contributions are $291,963. Other private contributions add up to $298,438. All in all, it costs $16,000 to educate a child at this school. And the NAPLAN results are just fine. So congratulations, Lee and Gatha Secondary College. You are doing a
7: fantastic job. Lee and Gatha Secondary College, you are at this week's Great State School of the Week. and That's all we've got time for. If you'd like to find out more about the dogs, you can... Go to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, it's thanks from Ollie, Kim, Jeff, Jean, Maddie, Sorrell and myself. And we'll see you next week and it's bye for now.
8: I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night, alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, here ten years dead, I never died, says he, I never died, says he. he. salt lake city joe says i am standing by my bed they framed you on a murder charge says joe but i'm dead says joe